Chapter Fifteen of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter Fifteen: A Morning Call at Mount Pleasant Villa. On the following day, Lady Mason made two visits, using her new vehicle for the first time. She would fain have walked had she dared, but she would have given terrible offence to her son by doing so. He had explained to her, and with some truth, that as their joint income was now a thousand a year, she was quite entitled to such a luxury. And then he went on to say that as he had bought it for her, he should be much hurt if she would not use it. She had put it off from day to day, and now she could put it off no longer. Her first visit was by appointment at the Cleeve. She had promised Mrs. Orme that she would come up, some special purpose having been named, but with the real idea, at any rate on the part of the latter, that they might both be more comfortable together than alone. The walk across from Orley Farm to the Cleeve had always been very dear to Lady Mason. Every step of it was over beautiful ground, and a delight in scenery was one of the few pleasures which her lot in life had permitted her to enjoy. But to-day she could not allow herself the walk. Her pleasure and delight must be postponed to her son's wishes. But then she was used to that. She found Mrs. Orme alone, and sat with her for an hour. I do not know that anything was said between them which deserves to be specially chronicled. Mrs. Orme, though she told her many things, did not tell her what Sir Peregrine had said as he was going up to his bedroom on the preceding evening. Nor did Lady Mason say much about her son's farming. She had managed to gather from Lucius that he had not been deeply impressed by anything that had fallen from Sir Peregrine on the subject, and therefore thought it as well to hold her tongue. She soon perceived also, from the fact of Mrs. Orme saying nothing about Lucius, that he had not left behind him any very favourable impression. This was, to her, cause of additional sorrow. But she knew that it must be borne. Nothing that she could say would induce Lucius to make himself acceptable to Sir Peregrine. When the hour was over, she went down again to her little carriage, Mrs. Orme coming with her to look at it, and in the hall they met Sir Peregrine. "'Why does not Lady Mason stop for lunch?' said he. "'It is past half-past one. I never knew anything so inhospitable as turning her out at this moment.' "'I did ask her to stay,' said Mrs. Orme. "'But I command her to stay,' said Sir Peregrine, knocking his stick upon the stone floor of the hall, "'and let me see who will dare to disobey me. John, let Lady Mason's carriage and pony stand in the open coach-house till she is ready.' So Lady Mason went back, and did remain for lunch. She was painfully anxious to maintain the best possible footing in that house, but still more anxious not to have it thought that she was intruding. She had feared that Lucius by his offence might have estranged Sir Peregrine against herself, but that, at any rate, was not the case. After lunch she drove herself to Hamworth, and made her second visit. On this occasion she called on one Mrs. Arkwright, 
who was a very old acquaintance, though hardly to be called an intimate friend. The late Mr. Arkwright, Dr. Arkwright, as he used to be styled in Hamworth, had been Sir Joseph's medical attendant for many years, and therefore there had been room for an intimacy. No real friendship, that is, no friendship of confidence, had sprung up, but nevertheless the doctor's wife had known enough of Lady Mason in her younger days to justify her in speaking of things which would not have been mentioned between merely ordinary acquaintance. "'I am glad to see you have got promotion,' said the old lady, looking out at Lady Mason's little phaeton on the gravel sweep which divided Mrs. Arkwright's house from the street. For Mrs. Arkwright's house was Mount Pleasant Villa, and therefore was entitled to a sweep. "'It was a present from Lucius,' said the other, "'and as such must be used. But I shall never feel myself at home in my own carriage.' "'It is quite proper, my dear Lady Mason, quite proper. With his income and with yours, I do not wonder that he insists upon it. It is quite proper, and just at the present moment, peculiarly so.' Lady Mason did not understand this, but she would probably have passed it by without understanding it, had she not thought that there was some expression more than ordinary in Mrs. Arkwright's face why peculiarly so at the present moment she said because it shows that this foolish report which is going about has no foundation people won't believe it for a moment when they see you out and about and happy like what rumour mrs arkwright and lady mason's heart sunk within her as she asked the question she felt at once to what it must allude though she had conceived no idea as yet that there was any rumour on the subject. Indeed, during the last forty-eight hours, since she had left the chambers of Mr. Furnival, she had been more at ease within herself than during the previous days which had elapsed, subsequent to the ill-omened visit made to her by Miriam Dockrath. It had seemed to her that Mr. Furnival anticipated no danger, and his manner and words had almost given her confidence. But now— now that a public rumour was spoken of her heart was as low again as ever sure haven't you heard said mrs arkwright well i wouldn't be the first to tell you only that i know that there is no truth in it you might as well tell me now as i shall be apt to believe worse than the truth after what you have said and then mrs arkwright told her people have been saying that mr mason is again going to begin those law proceedings about the farm but i for one don't believe it people have said so lady mason repeated she meant nothing it was nothing to her who the people were if one said it now all would soon be saying it but she uttered the words because she felt herself forced to say something and the power of thinking what she might best say was almost taken away from her i am sure i don't know where it came from said mrs arkwright but i would not have alluded to it if i had not thought that of course you had heard it i'm very sorry if my saying it has vexed you oh no said lady mason trying to smile as i said before we all know that there is nothing in it 
and your having the pony chaise just at this time will make everybody see that you are quite comfortable yourself uh, thank you yes good-bye mrs arkwright and then she made a great effort feeling aware that she was betraying herself and that it behooved her to say something which might remove the suspicion which her emotion must have created the very name of that lawsuit is so dreadful to me that i can hardly bear it the memory of it is so terrible to me that even my enemies would hardly wish that it should commence again of course it is merely a report said mrs arkwright almost trembling at what she had done that is all at least i believe so i had heard myself that some such threat had been made but i did not think that any tidings of it had got abroad it was mrs whiting told me she is a great busybody you know mrs whiting was the wife of the present doctor dear mrs arkwright it does not matter the least of course i do not expect that people should hold their tongue on my account good-bye mrs arkwright and then she got into the little carriage and did contrive to drive herself home to orley farm dear 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 said mrs arkwright to herself when she was left alone only to think of that that she should be knocked in a heap by a few words in a moment as we may say and then she began to consider of the matter i wonder what there is in it there must be something or she would never have looked so like a ghost what will they do if orley farm is taken away from them after all and then mrs arkwright hurried out on her daily little toddle through the town that she might talk about and be talked to on the same subject she was by no means an ill-natured woman nor was she at all inclined to direct against lady mason any slight amount of venom which might alloy her disposition but then the matter was of such importance the people of hamworth had hardly yet ceased to talk of the last orley farm trial and would it not be necessary that they should talk much more if a new trial were really pending looking at the matter in that light would not such a trial be a godsend to the people of hamworth therefore i beg that it may not be imputed to mrs arkwright as a fault that she toddled out and sought eagerly for her gossips lady mason did manage to drive herself home but her success in the matter was more owing to the good faith and propriety of her pony than to any skilful workmanship on her own part her first desire had been to get away from mrs arkwright and having made that effort she was now for a time hardly able to make any other it was fast coming upon her now let sir peregrine say what comforting words he might let mr furnival assure her that she was safe with ever so much confidence nevertheless she could not but believe could not but feel inwardly convinced that that which she so dreaded was to happen it was written in the book of her destiny that there should be a new trial and now from this very moment the misery would again begin people would point at her and talk of her her success in obtaining orley farm for her own child would again be canvassed at every house in hamworth and not only her success but the means also by which that success had been obtained 
the old people would remember and the young people would inquire and for her tranquillity repose and that retirement of life which had been so valuable to her were all gone there could be no doubt that dockwrath had spread the report immediately on his return from yorkshire and had she well thought of the matter she might have taken some comfort from this of course he would tell the story which he did tell his confidence in being able again to drag the case before the courts would by no means argue that others believed as he believed in fact the enemies now arraigned against her were only those whom she already knew to be so arraigned but she had not sufficient command of her thoughts to be able at first to take comfort from such a reflection as this she felt as she was being carried home that the world was going from her and that it would be well for her were it possible that she should die but she was stronger when she reached her own door than she had been at mrs arkwright's there was still within her a great power of self-maintenance if only time were allowed to her to look about and consider how best she might support herself many women are in this respect as she was with forethought and summoned patience they can endure great agonies but a sudden pang unexpected overwhelms them she got out of the pony carriage with her ordinary placid face and walked up to her own room without having given any sign that she was uneasy and then she had to determine how she should bear herself before her son it had been with her a great object that both sir peregrine and mr furnival should first hear of the tidings from her and that they should both promise her their aid when they had heard the story as she would tell it in this she had been successful and it now seemed to her that prudence would require her to act in the same way towards lucius had it been possible to keep this matter from him altogether she would have given much to do so but now it would not be possible it was clear that mr dockwrath had chosen to make the matter public acting no doubt with forethought in doing so and lucius would be sure to hear words which would become common in hamworth difficult as the task would be to her it would be best that she should prepare him so she sat alone till dinner-time planning how she would do this she had sat alone for hours in the same way planning how she would tell her story to sir peregrine and again as to her second story for mr furnival those whose withers are unwrung can hardly guess how absolutely a sore under the collar will embitter every hour for the poor jade who is so tormented but she met him at dinner with a smiling face he loved to see her smile and often told her so almost upbraiding her when she would look sad why should she be sad seeing that she had everything that a woman could desire her mind was burdened with no heavy thoughts as to feeding coming multitudes she had no contest to wage with the desultory chemists of the age his purpose was to work hard during the hours of the day hard also during many hours of the night and it was becoming that his mother should greet him softly during his few intervals of idleness he told her so in some words not badly chosen for such telling and she loving mother that she was 
strove valiantly to obey him during dinner she could not speak to him nor immediately after dinner the evil moment she put off from half hour to half hour still looking as though all were quiet within her bosom as she sat beside him with her book in her hand he was again at work before she began her story he thought at least that he was at work for he had before him on the table both pritchard and latham and was occupied in making copies from some drawings of skulls which purposed to represent the cerebral development of certain of our more distant asiatic brethren is it not singular said he that the jaws of men born and bred in a hunter state should be differently formed from those of the agricultural tribes are they said lady mason oh yes the maxillary profile is quite different you will see this especially with the mongolians among the tartar tribes it seems to me to be very much the same difference as that between a man and a sheep but pritchard makes no such remark look here at this fellow he must have been intended to eat nothing but flesh and that raw and without any knife or fork i don't suppose they had many knives or forks by close observation i do not doubt that one could tell from a single tooth not only what food the owner of it had been accustomed to eat but what language he had spoken i say close observation you know it could not be done in a day i suppose not and then the student again bent over his drawing you see it would have been impossible for the owner of such a jaw as that to have ground a grain of corn between his teeth or to have masticated even a cabbage lucius said lady mason becoming courageous on the spur of the moment i want you to leave that for a moment and speak to me well said he putting down his pencil and turning round here i am you have heard of the lawsuit which i had with your brother when you were an infant of course i have heard of it but i wish you would not call that man my brother he would not own me as such and i most certainly would not own him as far as i can learn he is one of the most detestable human beings that ever existed you have heard of him from an unfavourable side lucius you should remember that he is a hard man i believe but i do not know that he would do anything which he thought to be unjust why then did he try to rob me of my property because he thought that it should have been his own i cannot see into his breast but i presume that it was so i do not presume anything of the kind and never shall i was an infant and you were a woman a woman at that time without many friends and he thought that he could rob us under cover of the law had he been commonly honest it would have been enough for him to know what had been my father's wishes even if the will had not been rigidly formal i look upon him as a robber and a thief i am sorry for that lucius because i differ from you what i wish to tell you now is this that he is thinking of trying the question again what thinking of another trial now and lucius mason pushed his drawings and books from him with a vengeance so i am told and who told you i cannot believe it if he intended anything of the kind i must have been the first person to hear of it it would be my business now and you may be sure that he would have taken care to let me know his purpose 
and then by degrees she explained to him that the man himself mr mason of groby had as yet declared no such purpose she had intended to omit all mention of the name of mr dockwrath but she was unable to do so without seeming to make a mystery with her son when she came to explain how the rumour had arisen and why she had thought it necessary to tell him this she was obliged to say that it had all arisen from the wrath of the attorney he has been to groby park she said and now that he has returned he is spreading this report i shall go to him to-morrow said lucius very sternly no no you must not do that you must promise me that you will not do that but i shall you cannot suppose that i shall allow such a man as that to tamper with my name without noticing it it is my business now no lucius the attack will be against me rather than you that is if an attack be made i have told you because i do not like to have a secret from you of course you have told me if you are attacked who should defend you if i do not the best defence indeed the only defence till they take some active step will be silence most probably they will not do anything and then we can afford to live down such reports as these you can understand lucius that the matter is grievous enough to me and i am sure that for my sake you will not make it worse by a personal quarrel with such a man as that i shall go to mr furnival said he and ask his advice i have done that already lucius i thought it best to do so when first i heard that mr dockwrath was moving in the matter it was for that that i went up to town and why did you not tell me i then thought that you might be spared the pain of knowing anything of the matter i tell you now because i hear to-day in hamworth that people are talking on the subject you might be annoyed as i was just now if the first tidings had reached you from some stranger he sat silent for a while turning his pencil in his hand and looking as though he were going to settle the matter off-hand by his own thoughts i tell you what it is mother i shall not let the burden of this fall on your shoulders you carried on the battle before but i must do so now if i can trace any word of scandal to that fellow dockwrath i shall indict him for a libel oh lucius i shall and no mistake what would he have said had he known that his mother had absolutely proposed to mr furnival to buy off mr dockwrath's animosity almost at any price End of chapter fifteen of orley farm by anthony trollope recording by leonard wilson of springfield ohio